0: You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. All right. Well, welcome again as we gather together, for those who are watching online and worth us. Uh, so this morning, we are also beginning the Sunday that we said, you know, let's just do all the exciting things in one Sunday. Um, but I love the season of Advent, as Jer explained earlier. Uh, and to me, it all seems like it comes together. And so as we begin this season together, I want to share... Uh, The reading for today, our scripture, comes from the book of Mark. But fair warning, this isn't going to sound like a Christmas scripture. And sometimes we dovetail these together, but we'll get into all that. So let's look this morning at Mark chapter 13. And it says, In those days after the suffering of that time, the sun will become dark and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the planets and other heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then they will see the human one coming on the clouds with great power and splendor. Then we will see the angels gather together his chosen people from all four corners of the earth and from the end of the earth to the end of heaven. Learn this parable from the fig tree. After its branches become tender and its sprouts new leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, you know that he's near at the door. I assure you that this generation won't pass away until all of these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Not the angels in heaven and not the son only the Father knows. Watch out and stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming. It's as if someone took a trip and left the household behind and put the servants in charge, giving each one a job to do. And told the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know when the head of the household will come, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the early morning or daybreak. Don't let them show up when you weren't expecting and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to invite us to think this morning about the Mona Lisa and it's one of those paintings where I think each of us can kind of put a picture in our head of that. Maybe just by a show of hands, who's seen it in person? Okay, let me see if this goes where I want it to. Like, read my mind quickly. What was the first thing as soon as you saw it that maybe you thought to yourself about that painting? <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, get the wallet out here to pay. <laughs> It seems to me that's the case. I haven't seen it in person, but anytime someone goes and sees it, I feel like the feedback they always give is it wasn't as big as they thought it was going to be. And the measurements are it's about 30 inches in height and about 21 inches in width. And it's just not a large painting in itself for all the largeness that it holds in art history and in our world. Uh, Art historians estimate that Leonardo da Vinci worked on the piece in total for about five years and then continued to make adjustments to it until the time of his death, about 11 years later. And that's amazing to me because he didn't take 15 years to to paint this painting. Instead, the years involved him refining his techniques or or developing a technique or practicing it elsewhere that he wanted to cultivate on the painting. It involved his study of anatomy and, and facial structure to make the painting look the way it does. It took careful thought and intention that an artist puts into something to think about how the whole thing is going to come together. And, and of course, <laughs> he just had other things going on in life, right? as we do. Now, I want to make a, a contrast to this because there was a, an interesting commercial during the Macy's Day Parade, maybe you saw it, uh, and Microsoft was promoting their, their new thing, Bing's the Bing search engine, their artificial intelligence image generator, so like an AI image generator. And they were showing how you can kind of punch in a series of words and it, less than a couple of seconds, spits out this artistic representation. Now that's art. At the same time we recognize that with a couple of keywords, we can generate art that is unique and includes the ideas that we have there in seconds. And we can put in words like woman, smile, pose, Black hair, and out pops a masterpiece. I don't, I don't know if the Mona Lisa pops out, but maybe something akin to it. And so we recognize that we've got time periods with two different pieces of art. And with this here, what I want to highlight is that art is a process. For those who are artists, for those who put their hand to any type of craft, art is more of a process than an exact science part of making art is the journey itself not just the end result not just the thing that's produced and i recognize that in our lives and in our world we live in a fast-paced time and season where we look for instant gratification and for quick solutions to our busy lives but art like the mona lisa is like our lives in that it takes time it takes layers it takes patience and so that's what we're going to be looking at this Advent together is this idea of the art of patience and beginning this week with hope and how hope helps to give us the patience that we need in the seasons of waiting. Because our faith works in the same way. It doesn't grow by science in the way that we have this plan where if I start here, then I end here, or we can't kind of input into like the AI generator, like help me to grow closer to Jesus. It'll give you some suggestions and they probably are helpful. But it's a process and it's a layering. It's a trying this on, finding if it fits, and then setting it aside. Creating the masterpiece of our lives is something that takes patience and details, working layer by layer, putting down strokes of paint season after season, learning a technique, and then learning a new technique in a new season. So the question for us this morning is, how do we wait? How do we wait? And to be honest, I don't think I know anybody who naturally waits with hope. (laughs) I don't think I know many people who naturally wait with hope. I do know a lot of people, myself included, who wait with nervous anticipation, (laughs) people who wait with, with an excitement of uncertainty, and people who wait with a very tense longing. And I don't know if you would agree with me or not, we as humans are better and more acquainted at waiting restlessly than waiting patiently with hope. Is that true? You let me know with an amen or not. Okay. And so what I want to invite us to see this morning is that as we pay attention and as we stay alert, as Jesus invited us to do, what we will see are God's signs all around us. What we'll see is that Jesus is actively shaping our lives and our world. We'll see that Jesus shows up in surprising and hope-filled ways when we least expect it. And what we'll find is that hope almost becomes a fuel that sustains us, empowers us during our waiting. And that hope also builds patience. And so Jesus guides us in the art of patience where we can lower the anxiousness, and lower the restlessness that we typically feel as we wait. So as we looked at our scripture this morning, as I said, you may have thought to yourself, that's not the Advent scripture I was thinking of this morning, like maybe something more John the Baptist, maybe some angels, but Advent reminds us that it's a season of getting ready for the Christmas celebration. It reminds us of the years and years before Jesus when the people hoped and the idea of hope for what would come, and they waited. And so this morning, as we look at this, there's two events in our scripture that are happening. There's two historical events that are happening at this time. So when Mark tells the story, the first event is that Jesus is speaking at a specific place at a specific time, and it's around 30 AD, and it's an anxious time for the people who are living in this time. And Jesus does something good, he names the concerns that they're feeling. He brings it out into the light, and he names their concerns aloud. He names false prophets. He names competing messiahs and competing saviors. He names the Roman occupation that they're familiar with. He names the emperor's propaganda machine that's, that's churning out these headlines that the emperor comes to bring love, joy, hope, peace, and love. Of course, all these are provided by the Roman standing army, so the love feels different. But these are the concerns and these are the things that have been presented and that are weighing on the shoulders of the people. Now, this takes place at a second time, too, because Mark is narrating the story of Jesus in 30 AD, but Mark is writing this story some 40 years later, around 66 or so, and he's writing the story in the gospel to share with others. And so again, at this time, people are feeling nervous energy because the rumors of war that they heard from Jesus have now come true in their own time. And so the rumors of wars came true, and historically we know that the first Jewish-Roman war took place between 66 and 73 AD. And what happened there was a group of Jewish rebels rose up in Jerusalem against this Roman Empire rule. And if you're already thinking like, wait, rebels, empires, Star Wars, you're making references. If that's your frame of reference like me, that, that, that works this morning. Because you've got this group of rebels who have risen up against this big occupying force. And so at the result of this uprising, Emperor Nero sends more, more of the army, more of those, they breach the walls of Jerusalem that had kept them out, and they utterly destroy the temple. So Jesus predicts this early on, but in this moment, the temple is utterly destroyed. This was the place of worship. This was the thing that all the way back to the beginning chapters of the Bible, they're told how to construct this and how to build it. And it's flattened. And in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem falls and it's flattened. And this becomes... uh, the catalyst for the way our Jewish friends and neighbors still worship. Instead of worshiping at a temple, uh, it has been spread out and pushed into neighborhoods, into synagogues. And this is the catalyst of where we find that today. And so I want to recognize that in this moment when people are living, Mark is writing his Jesus story to give these folks hope who are going through some anxiety and terrifying times. And he has the audacity to say there's still hope, even if the city's been flattened and our entire religious and spiritual life has been crushed. And so in verse 37, Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. And I hear something in these words. What I hear is Jesus saying to these disciples who were gathered in 30 A.D., and again, to these disciples, as Mark writes, it, it applies still in later times to hold on to hope. And Jesus' way of saying, I say to all, is a way of stretching these words, not just to the present historical circumstances then, but to our realities today and to our lives today. To invite us to see that Jesus knows that waiting is hard. And that it becomes even more difficult in 30 A.D. when you're facing the realities that they faced or in 66 A.D. when you're facing those realities or in 2023 with the challenges and the realities that we face that we could name either locally or nationally, that we could name in our county or in our state, that we could name in this country or any number of countries. Not to mention the things that we experience just between neighbors or at work. And so we recognize that these challenges that we face are real. And Jesus never seeks to diminish them as if to say, just be hopeful. Jesus names the reality, invites them to see that if they can stay alert and pay attention in the midst of these things, they will be surprised by hope. Surprised by hope. And that's the good news that we have and hold on to. A theologian named N.T. Wright helps to bring this passage into the modern world in a way that I think makes sense to us here, especially in the West. And he writes that many Christians today face persecution, every bit as severe as that which the early church suffered. And those Christians who don't face persecution often face the opposite temptation, to stagnate, to become cynical, to suppose that nothing much is happening, and that the kingdom of God is just pious dream. And I think that's very true for many parts of the church, that we find ourselves in these circumstances, because persecution has a way of lighting a fire in ways that when things are going relatively well, or we can kind of provide for ourselves, that it doesn't as much. And so perhaps it's different for you, but at least for me, I tend to struggle more with not becoming cynical and not thinking, there's nothing much happening in the kingdom of God here in Horizon West. And the question is, am I paying attention? Am I staying alert? To put it another way, we get distracted by all the things that, that clamor and call for our attention, for our finances, for our time. And every one of these things, and my guess is they just get louder for all of us this time of year, and they just shout to us like, I'm urgent, you need this. Pay attention here or some new program or tool or life hack tells us that it will finally bring the hope and the joy and the peace and the salvation that we really need and that we light a candle for each week. <laughs> Thankfully for me, Amazon allows returns and it has a very gracious return policy when I think that this thing that I have bought and will finally save me in whatever way that I thought it was, come to find out it, it can't <laughs> and it won't. And I have 30 days to get it back to them, right? But I think we can admit that it's hard to stay alert and it's hard to pay attention. And I admit it is hard for me to do that even with my top priorities. My family, Melanie, the ministry, friends, not to mention my own care for myself. It's hard to keep those things that I say, these are important, at the top. And sometimes I've thought to myself, as I read passages like this, they just didn't have to deal with all that stuff back then, Like, it must have been so much easier back in those days. I mean, John the Baptist shows up in the wilderness telling people, I'm preparing the way for the Messiah. Like, look, here he comes. (laughs) Or literal stars in the sky leading people to the baby in the manger. Or wise men show up from another country, and they've seen the star and heard this prophecy, right? Or, or these women and men who had these prophetic dreams or sharing them aloud in the marketplace. Like, that has to be a lot easier to pay attention to, right? But what I oftentimes don't see is that we can read these miraculous stories of Scripture that surround the birth of Jesus, and we can see that there are all these pieces that are coming together like a, like a well-orchestrated puzzle to present our salvation must have been so easy back then. But what we don't see, because it didn't get written down and saved, was all the other versions of John the Baptist and all of the other prophets who were doing their own thing, trying to point to some person beyond themselves. The first, his, first century historian Josephus mentions that at the time of Christ, there were at least 12 other known figures claiming to be the Messiah and the Savior for Israel that doesn't even count the emperors of Rome and these other self-proclaimed gods who were in their own way packaging their salvation tool the ordinary people in first century were probably a lot more like us because they had to weed through the same kind of things they had to look at this Jesus of Nazareth character and 12 or so others who were claiming similar kinds of things Do the work and figure out which one of these are going to shake out in time. Which one am I hitching my wagon to? So for those first century folks like us, we too, we got to sort through a lot of stuff that calls for our attention and calls for our loyalty. And I think sometimes that challenge is discerning between what is evil and masquerading itself as good. And a lot of times it's just discerning between what is good and what is of God. And the wisdom that Jesus offers for those of us who are waiting and for those of us who are in need of hope is that we do have a purpose right here, right now, in our time of waiting. And and I like this. I like that Jesus gives this analogy. If you remember from the scriptures this morning, the analogy was the fig tree and the person who took a trip. And in the one here of someone taking a trip, he tells them that he puts the servants in charge and gives each one of them a job to do. And I thought to myself, waiting is so much easier when I have something to do. (laughs) Waiting is so much harder when I'm just waiting and staring, right? And, And waiting for whatever it is to happen. And this is such a good help to us because we can't control, as Jesus said, when God returns to make all things new. And so we might as well do something meaningful with our time while we wait. Now, this is different than the busy work that a substitute gives, right? Instead, what Jesus does is he helps disciples like us wait with hope. And the way that we wait with hope is by engaging with our passions and our purposes in the world and in the life that is around us. And so when we engage in ways that we are passionate about and that have a sense of purpose, then what happens within us is that hope-filled patience begins to form, layer after layer, a little bit at a time, like a painting unfolding over time. And so while the house owner is away, the house owner in this parable is Jesus, while Jesus is away, what task has God given to you? What task has God given to you? Maybe here's an easier way to think about it. We're called to stay alert to the surprising ways that Jesus is present. Now, sometimes we begin to think about, I do at least, in very churchy terms. Like, okay, well, like, what does this look like for ministry or for life? But I had a pretty wild experience this week that I think brings all this into perspective about how we live in a way of staying alert and paying attention in our everyday lives. So as I was working this week, one of my new favorite spots to work, actually I shouldn't tell people because then they'll find me, right? (laughs) But one of my new favorite spots to work is uh, the Maple Street Biscuit Company in Hamlin. Um, And I I just limit myself to the coffee, right? Usually because that's that's all that we need there. But literally as I wrote the sentence before this, that said, when we engage in ways that we're passionate about and have a purpose, we find hope-filled patience being formed. I finished typing that sentence on my computer. I had my coffee beside me. I'd been there for about two hours. And at that moment, uh, someone catches my attention. I look up. And one of the hosts there who worked there had come over, and she had a plate with a cinnamon raisin biscuit on it. And she said, hey, we thought you were over there. We, thought we were over there, and we thought you looked hungry. Would you like a cinnamon raisin biscuit? And I thought, the calories don't count if they bring it to me. And so I had my coffee and I was working on the sermon. and I literally just wrote that sentence there. And the more I reflected on this moment, I sent Melanie a picture of this and everything. I was so excited by this moment because it was almost like I was so deep and focused in what I was doing and, it, and I was so paying attention to my computer and trying to kind of bring this idea together. I realized the staff were paying attention and the staff were staying alert to their customers and the people in their store. And at least one of them thought to themselves, there's someone over there, and I wonder if they would like this biscuit, you know? And to me, that was a God moment. I felt like it was God's way of saying that when you pay attention to what's going on in you and around you, you'll find surprising and inspiring and fulfilling things to do all around. And I have no idea, and it seemed like that person went on a break immediately after, because I want to at least find them and thank them later, But they had no idea how just that little cinnamon raisin biscuit brought a sense of joy and surprise and excitement to me and a realization that these are the ways that we can be a blessing to others. And as I thought back about that, I realized it wasn't really the biscuit, right? It was the person who made the difference. It was the person who was paying attention. She was the one who made a choice that day to offer kindness She was, how Jesus would describe, a fig tree that is already blooming blooms of new life into the world. She was doing what she could to make her world around her, even if it was a 3,000 square foot restaurant that morning. She did what she could to make her world look a little bit more like heaven. And I thought, you know, if we can find some ways this Advent season to simply pay attention to the square footage in person, virtually, that we're a part of, whether it's at school or work, if we can simply pay attention where we already are to the people around us, we will see opportunities to be that hope-filled surprise for someone else, and we might just find some hope-filled surprise for ourselves. So I want to challenge us to to engage with passion and with purpose while Jesus, the homeowner, is, is still away. I want to invite you this week to stay alert for your chance to give a cinnamon raisin biscuit to someone else who looks hungry for the hope of God this week. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.